Shark from Jaws? Yeah, I believe it is, Lieutenant. That's the one that they used in the picture? I think so. Yeah, that looks different to me. I can't help it. If we do scene 31 on stage four, Could we... they have two? I... You know, because in the picture Lieutenant. at the end, they've got all mangled. Lieutenant, I know you didn't come here to talk about sharks. I'm, I'm pressed for time. What do you want? Welcome back to another episode of the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Episode 34, Jaws Columbo. This is the first episode that we're going to open up with something that's not necessarily involved in Jaws. But did you know that there is more than one direct relationship that Jaws has with Columbo? And can we open up the history of a possible Jaws prequel that Steven Spielberg had in mind using an episode from the series Columbo. Yes, I believe we can. We're going to try to tackle that here for episode 34 of the Jaws Obsession. Welcome back. Thank you for lending your time into coming here and learning more about Jaws and trying to see the bigger picture that was going on not only when they filmed Jaws, but after they filmed Jaws. So the movie Jaws, as the powers that be, with all the problems that were on set, the picture came out the way it is, and there was still more to the story going on. And while we're doing this, the process of trying to push Jaws and increase the Jaws universe is actually the fun part, right? So the, the process of trying to get this Jaws universe expanded 
we actually learn more about our favorite movie of all time, the greatest movie of all time, Jaws. One announcement I wanted to make, it seems like there's a problem with Apple Podcasts. For anyone that's listening on Apple, every episode of the Jaws Obsession has a title card to it. So what I do is I create a one-by-one square with the title, with the, the name Jaws Obsession, and then the episode number. But there's usually an image that I incorporate in there. And that image has something to do with that episode that you're learning about. Some of the times I reference that image, everybody from Spotify to Audible to all the other podcast platforms and listening platforms, that different image pops up for every episode, except for Apple. For some reason, Apple does not want, it just uses the regular Jaws Obsession logo. It does not use the individual title card for each episode. So what I encourage everyone that's listening to Apple if you check in every time you listen to an episode, check in over at jawsob.com on the episodes page. I have all those title cards lined up perfectly so you can actually go to the episode you're listening to and you can see what title card I'm referencing. Sometimes with Jaws uh, Easter eggs, the actual scene that I'm talking about with the Easter egg in it is actually the title card for that episode. So with this episode with Jaws Columbo, you'll actually see the orca in the background with Peter Falk as Columbo right there and the shark. You should be able to see that title card on your podcasting platform. Apple users, if you do not see that, then you can always, I just want to remind you, you can always go to episodes, the episodes page over at jawsob.com and you can see it there. Okay, this is Jaws Obsession. Why are we looking at Columbo and why are we listening to Columbo talk about Jaws? What I do with these Jaws Obsession episodes is able to take a step back and actually talk about Jaws, recenter myself. Uh, why am I writing this book? Dive into the movie. I just was watching Jaws, uh, the Blu-ray version of Jaws the other day, just yesterday. You know, my 16-year-old walks through the room and he says, you're watching this again? He goes, don't you ever get bored of this? And I looked at him and I said, well, do you ever get bored of watching a sunset? Because you can't get bored of watching something that's pretty much perfect. And every time you watch a sunset, you never see the same one twice. And that's the, way, that's the way it is when we watch Jaws. When you watch Jaws, you never really see it the same way twice. You could focus on, you could say, okay, I'm going to focus on just the lighthouses and watch Jaws, and you're going to see a different version of the movie because you're focusing on the lighthouses and you're trying to see which ones were where. You can do the same thing with the orca. You can say, I'm going to focus on the interior of the orca, and I want to see exactly all the details that were in there. And it's, it's a different movie comes out. Every now and then I will watch Jaws. And actually just yesterday while watching Jaws, I learned three new things. Three new things came up and I go, well, I, that's, that's part of an episode I could do. That's, that's, I could mention that in another episode. With the story of the book of Quint, after I watch Jaws, the movie becomes so much more, more grand. There's so much more going on. That's why I feel so strongly about this story that it enhances the viewing of Jaws. It's a different movie now, and it's really cool. It's just, I want to explain everything to you, and that's going to be some of the best parts. That's going to be some of the most fun about the next half a year, year after the Book of Quint comes out in October, and the story's out there, and people are reading it. Now comes the fun part where we actually get to talk about all the new details that are developed and the new storylines and the new theories and all that stuff like that. So that's why I really believe this movie, there was always a prequel that was building. And that prequel originated with Steven Spielberg and Howard Sackler. 
how do we actually come up with uh, Jaws Columbo? Let, let me get, I got onto this because uh, this was a little bit more of a fun episode that I wanted to do because a fan left a, a very great comment over on uh, Apple Podcast, uh, applepodcast.com, user named The Dude. So The Dude wrote in, left a five-star review, and, he, and The Dude writes, The Jaws Obsession is a masterpiece. My favorite movie of all time has just become more interesting and meaningful by listening to these podcasts. Mr. Daco has done a wonderful job breaking down the characters and scenes from the movie. He is a Jaws Columbo. I truly appreciate all his passion and knowledge and love for Jaws in each episode. His quest for a Jaws prequel that Steven Spielberg originally wanted is amazing. The Book of Quint would be a great addition to the original Jaws legacy. Let's face it, all the Jaws movies after the original were disappointing. If Universal Studios is listening, please make The Book of Quint the prequel to Jaws. The fans deserve it. Thank you very, very, very much, the dude. I don't know if this is Jeff Bridges writing in, but there is a user named the dude, and thank you very much for that comment. And I will wear that moniker, the Jaws Columbo, with pride. There is a connection between Jaws and Columbo, so let's just dive right into it. So whoever you are out there, thank you very much for the five-star review. Thanks to everyone else that's been leaving good reviews. It helps the show out greatly and it pushes the algorithm up so we can actually wind up in more searches. What this user gets is he gets the point. He gets the point of what is really going on here. That we're making his favorite movie more interesting, utilizing details in the movie Jaws and expanding on them and opening up that scope of the Jaws universe and seeing the bigger picture that's actually there. And this book of Quint is going to be the definitive key that unlocks a lot of these new elements that will make your viewing of Jaws even better. But what, what he tapped in on is the quest uh, for a Jaws prequel that Steven Spielberg originally wanted. And what I zeroed in on is that there is a relationship between Columbo and Jaws. In a certain episode, does that give us details into actually what were Steven Spielberg's intentions in the mid-70s with a potential Jaws prequel? And that's very exciting to see. So thank you very much, The Dude. This episode is inspired 100% by that comment. So I wanted to establish a timeline, and I wanted to show that it was Steven Spielberg's idea to actually get the Orca back to Universal. We have to put ourselves back into 1975, in August of 75, Jaws became the first film in history to surpass $100 million. Right there, there was already going to be talk of a sequel. Now, why? Because in the 1970s, we're very, very sequel happy. You have to realize that 1968 Planet of the Apes, in the next five years after that, there were four Planet of the Ape movie sequels. Uh, 1972's Godfather, 1974 Godfather 2. So, these were very successful, um, and even if they weren't the best quality, like French, the French Connection 2 in 1975, in 1977 they had The Exorcist 2. So even if the, the sequel isn't as quality as the original, the, the box office receipts were there, so they were going to make more money. So automatically there was, in August of 1975, because June, June of 1975 is when Jaws opened in theaters. So by August, it made $100 million. So the first thing they're going to be doing, Universal's going to, we got to get a sequel, okay? So they're going to approach, obviously, they're going to approach Steven Spielberg. So I have some documentation here. I'm going to be working out of the uh, Jaws 2 book called Making of the Hollywood Sequel called Jaws 2. And it's written by Michael A. Smith with Louis R. Pisano. So these guys compiled a, uh, 
very detailed history about the making of Jaws 2. We have to go to learn about the history of the Orca. We've already done that. If you go back and listen to episode 19, which was the fate of the Orca, episode 19 of the Jaws Obsession, listen to that. We detail everything that happened to the Orca after the filming of Jaws. Where does Columbo come into play? Well, what we have is we have Columbo actually, one of the side, one of the side notes is Steven Spielberg, one of his first directing opportunities was directing episode one, season one, episode one of Columbo, the TV series. It was called Murder Murder by the Book, and it was released in 1971. And so a young Spielberg actually directed that. It's a very good episode. It's well blocked out, well shot. You can see that it wasn't the typical television fare, that the director had, a, had more flair than the usual stuff you'd see on television at the time. So what we're dealing with is we're dealing with season six, episode one of Columbo. The title of the this episode was called Fade Into Murder. It was one hour and 13 minutes long, and it aired in October 10th, 1976. And what the scene is, is Detective Columbo is going to, um, William Shatner stars in it as well. It's a great, it's a great little episode. I personally am a huge Columbo fan. So that's why I, I will, I like the title of the Jaws Columbo. If, if I want to be, if, if, if I'll be known as that, I have no problem because Columbo was an excellent series, excellent details. Um, I love the little mysteries that you were solved in, and I have the entire season on box set. So I know this episode, Columbo was a series done by universal, universal television at the time. So Columbo was shot on Universal Studios and they would utilize a lot of the different elements of what you would find in the back lots of Universal for the series. And in this episode, season six, episode one, Fade Into Murder, what happens is, is you have uh, Detective Columbo wanders down to go talk to a Hollywood producer about uh, details regarding a murder. Well, in the background, he goes to talk to this producer and they're on the side of the studio tour, the Jaws part of the studio tour, the Universal Studios Hollywood studio tour. This was the Jaws attraction that was done in 1976. So you look down there and in the background, there is the orca. The orca is sitting there. That's the screen used orca. That's the one that was done with all the filming of the interiors. And that's the, that was the orca that they used to sail around. So that's there in the background. And in this episode of Columbo, which was filmed in 1976. So we do know that the that this ride opened up in April 10th, 1976. By then, they had the orca sitting in a pond. If you want to find out more details about what happened to the orca after the filming of Jaws, you have to listen to episode 19 of the Jaws Obsession, which was the fate of the orca. We detailed that entire arc. But for now, what we're going to focus on is that we do know that the orca was sitting there in 1976 on the studio back lot. That was April 10th of 1976. When we go back to our story, we're going to trace back. What we need to establish is we need to establish that Spielberg made the call to get that orca back. He wanted that orca back. Let's go to that right now. We're going to go to uh, The Jaws is Still Working is a Jaws documentary. Whatever happened to the ultimate Jaws prop? Quint's trusty fishing boat, the orca, which served as a floating set for nearly four months of shooting at sea. Well, I had a good souvenir. I had the orca for a while. I had the orca shipped back to Universal Studios. We put it on the tour in the back lot. And every once in a while, I go up my little electric cart and I visit the orca by myself, look around, make sure no tourists around, nobody could see me. And I would just sit uh, inside the pilot house where I would sit in one of the cabins, right? Walk down those few steps to where all the life jackets were 
just hanging, dripping when the boat began to sink. And I would just kind of reminisce and kind of give thanks for that movie sort of launched my career. Spielberg made the call to bring it back, right? Well, I had a good souvenir. I had the Orca for a while. I had the Orca shipped back to Universal Studios. I had the Orca for a while. I had the Orca shipped back to Universal Studios. So Spielberg made that call to get the Orca back. Now, when would that call have been made? According to my notes with John Tedder, who is the, our resident Orca specialist, that call to Alan Aquino, who was the technician on Jaws who purchased the Orca from Universal Studios. Universal Studios came calling and bought the Orca back around August of 1975. Now, in August of 1975, that was exactly when Jaws hit $100 million in box office. Uh, that would have been, um, and I'm going back to Jaws 2, The Making of, a Holly, of the Hollywood Sequel, the book by Michael A. Smith with Louis R. Pisano. We have documentation, and this is historical fact, that Jaws became the first film in history to surpass over $100 million in August of 1975. At that time, Hollywood is very sequel-happy. They're seeing that sequels generate a lot of box office revenue, even if they aren't the quality of the original. They can continue the payday. And so the talk of a sequel was fired right out. So the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to go to the director, Steven Spielberg, about a sequel. Let's just put it this way. The Universal Studios Hollywood Studio Tour, the Jaws attraction there, did not open until April 10th, 1976. So that's eight months after this August that we're dealing with here. My belief is that Steven Spielberg did not request that Orca. He did not bring the Orca back to Universal Studios. He did not send Universal Studios executives out to Allen to purchase back the Orca to set up a Jaws attraction studio tour. That's not how Spielberg thinks. I believe that Steven Spielberg was thinking that he can incorporate that somehow in a Jaws prequel. Because think about it, why would you need the Orca anyways? It sinks in Jaws. So you're never going to use it for Jaws 2. Obviously the one in Jaws 2 that's at the bottom of the ocean, that was a rebuilt Orca that's, that was a boat made to look like the Orca. That was not the Orca. Steven Spielberg would not have brought this back. He would not have been thinking of those terms of a Jaws attraction for a Hollywood studio tour. He would have been thinking filmmaking. And that's where I believe that when he admits, when he says that he was the catalyst, that means in August, when Universal Studios approached Alan to buy the Orca back, that was actually at the behest of Steven Spielberg. Because what we have is we have documentation right here on page two of Jaws 2, The Making of Hollywood Sequel. Universal's president, Sid Sheinberg, made an inquiry of producers Richard Zanuck and David Brown when are you going to do the sequel? The filmmakers were apprehensive. How do you follow up the most successful motion picture ever made without looking like you were chasing a buck? But they agreed. We knew others would produce Jaws 2 if we didn't, Brown would later say. Hoping to find a writer familiar with the idea, they contacted Carl Gottlieb, who had co-written the original film with the book's author, Peter Benchley. Unhappy with the money being offered, Gottlieb said no. Not dissuaded, the producers contacted Howard Sackler. Sackler, a playwright whose works include The Great White Hope, winner of both the Pulitzer Prize and the Tony Award for Best Play. So Howard Sackler was, uh, and I'm going to pause right there, Howard Sackler was contacted by Zanuck and Brown. And Sackler was a friend of David Brown. And Steven Spielberg, he is the one, he always brings up Howard Sackler when asked about origins of the screenplay because Howard Sackler is credited with bringing the USS Indianapolis part to the story of Quint. He's the one that wrote the two-paragraph mention of the USS Indianapolis into the original screenplay that was turned in by Peter Benchley. 
So let's just go right to what Steven Spielberg says. A very little credited writer who made the biggest breakthrough on Jaws, which was a writer named Howard Sackler, whose idea it was to give Quint the Indianapolis speech. Even though it was John Milius who wrote the speech, I mean, I mean, Howard Sackler wrote like two paragraphs this big. John Milius wrote a nine-page monologue for um, Quint to say. And then when Robert Shaw, who himself was a writer of The Man in the Glass Booth, read Milius' 10 page, he says, I can't go on for 10, 15 minutes just talking. Let me have a crack at it. Shaw took the speech and, and, and himself edited it down to five pages. And that was the whole evolution of how that speech, speech was told. But it did come from the mind of Howard Sackler, who remembered the actual Indianapolis incident and suggested that Quint, did that become a Rosetta Stone for Quint's entire character? That Steven Spielberg remembers exactly Howard Sackler's contribution of the USS Indianapolis. This makes sense. This all makes sense because many people remember the character of Quint and just be exploding with life because of that speech. So we know that Howard Sackler came up with the idea. We do know that John Milius contributed greatly and wrote the speech, according to Steven Spielberg, that it became nine pages long. If you want to hear my our full breakdown of this, go back to listen to episode five of the Jaws Obsession that we did. That was the first episode we did of this year. That episode, we boiled down to who gets credit for what part about that speech for the Indianapolis. But John Mealy's had a great contribution. Robert Shaw had a great contribution. But what we're focusing now is Howard Sackler. Spielberg would have trusted Howard Sackler with that part of the story. So when David Brown goes to Howard Sackler in August of 1975, keen on the idea, Sackler met with Zanuck and Brown and suggested not a sequel, but a prequel. What if the film detailed the mission of the USS Indianapolis, following the ship as it delivers its top-secret cargo, and ending tragically with the doomed sailors being picked off, one by one, by sharks after the ship had, sunk, had been sunk? The producers liked the idea, and the three men met with Scheinberg to discuss it, but it, was, but it wasn't to be. After considering the pitch, Scheinberg shook his head and told the trio, that's a different shirt than what we want to wear. Scheinberg wanted more of a familiar formula, everyday people and everyday people in danger. So he wanted to go back to Amity. Of course, Sid Scheinberg's wife was Lauren Gary, who played Ellen Brody. So naturally, he would be more pulled towards, let's follow the Brody's family after the events of Jaws. Let's go into that type of Jaws 2. So Sackler continued to write for the Jaws 2 screenplay. So that was a conversation in August of 1975 where they talked of a prequel. Now, I believe, I truly believe Spielberg was somehow involved in Howard Sackler approaching Richard Zanuck and David Brown with that idea and that they were keen on it. They wouldn't have been as keen if they already hadn't talked to Steven Spielberg. And Steven Spielberg was savvy to this idea. Therefore, he says, let's get the Orca back in that August of 75. I think director Spielberg was actually looking more of doing an Indianapolis part of Quint, but also how Quint is brought to Amity, and then the introduction of the Orca. So the Orca was in Steven Spielberg's mind. Let's dissect that even more, because this was very interesting. Okay. This is very interesting. So flip to page 54 
of Jaws 2 making of a Hollywood sequel. Howard Sackler would end up coming up with the with the Amity Island, but he had his vision was a dark world where Amity was almost a ghost town, and Police Chief Martin Brody is brought is beyond paranoid and haunted by nightmares from his experience. So Howard Sackler zeroed in on the post-traumatic stress disorders of uh, Chief Brody after the events of Jaws. We're not going to get too far into the weeds with the making of Jaws 2. What I still want to focus on is what is Spielberg's involvement in the making of Jaws 2 because it did not end right there. We do know that Universal acquires the Orca, brings it back to Universal Studios in August of 1975. At the direction of Steven Spielberg, they bring the Orca back. But that backlot tour of Universal Studios does not open until April of 76. So the, the Orca came in way before then. And let's just put it this way. If they're going to build a backlot tour, they would have been able to reconstruct a fake Orca. Uh, Universal Studios has never been keen on saying that's the screen used item. They would just build a whole new one or a replica one and just... It was just something for the, the tourists. They weren't really going, we got to get the original boat in there. That was Spielberg's idea before the backlot tour. So that's what makes, the, what strikes me interesting is that Spielberg admits that he's the guy that went, he made the call to get the Orca back before the backlot tour was even thought of. So the Orca was purchased with a prequel vision in mind. That's my belief. Let's go in a little bit more, if we can go in a little bit more of Steven Spielberg's mindset at the time. Because of the success of Jaws, Steven Spielberg was able, he had a development deal with Columbia Pictures to make a spaceship movie, a UFO movie called Watch the Skies, which would become Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So he would have been on pre-production of that. That did not go into production until May 16th, 1976. So what I believe Spielberg was doing, so he said that, hey, I will do a Jaws prequel after Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That was his plan. So what do you do with the Orca in the meantime? Sure, go ahead, put the Orca on the backlot tour. I'm going to get to that later on. What I wanted to show was that Spielberg had a, a very interesting comment around this time. Remember, he's filming in May 1976. In Alabama, he's, he's filming on location on big sets that they constructed for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That filming would have been started around late 1975 or early 76. The official principal photography was in May of 76. But uh, Steven Spielberg was in the first half of 76. He was on set for, he was doing a lot of that pre-production work for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But what this is a little comment that came was very interesting. Let's listen up to what Steven Spielberg says while he's on the set in May, in uh, between January and May 1976. Let's listen up to what he says. George came back from Star Wars, a nervous wreck. He didn't feel Star Wars came up to the vision that he had initially had. He felt he had just made this little kid's movie. And he came to Mobile, Alabama, where I was shooting on this humongous set. And George hung out with me for a couple of days and looked around and said, oh my God, your movie's going to be so much more successful than Star Wars. This is going to be the biggest hit of all time. I can't believe the set and I can't believe what you're getting. And oh my goodness. We had Spielberg admit George Lucas visited him on the set. This is before Star Wars re was released. Now, Star Wars was released on May 25th of 1977. We're talking, this is over a year before it's released. George Lucas has been doing filming 
and he's friends. Obviously, he's USC buddies with Steven Spielberg. And now they're together on the set of Close Encounters, and they're talking about things. Remember, George Lucas, in my mind, is the first, he's one of these those first filmmakers that actually had the idea of a prequel built in to his trilogy that he wanted to make. So he was filming Star Wars, and it's been commonly known that Star Wars was episode four because there was a one, two, and three that George Lucas would want to film later on. So he would have explained this to Steven Spielberg about the idea of a prequel. Now, what is very interesting in this time is that Steven Spielberg, he's looking at all these sequels being made. He's looking at his buddy Francis Ford Coppola, made Godfather 2. He's seen The Exorcist 2, French Connection 2. He's seen all these sequels. Spielberg has been, he was never one to say, I want to do it like everybody else. If he was going to do a quote-unquote sequel, another Jaws movie, he would want to make his own twist. It would be natural for Spielberg to have the idea of the prequel from Howard Sackler, and he knows that that name is right in there because that's the envision that he wanted was the prequel to Jaws involving the USS Indianapolis in some way. But that's the only way he was going to be attached to that as a quote-unquote sequel was a prequel, something different than what everybody else was doing. I also believe that Spielberg had an extremely strong affection to Robert Shaw. I believe Robert Shaw was one of the, the biggest names, one of the biggest names that he would have worked with up to that point. And he would have wanted to work with him again in some way. And the only way of having being able to work with Robert Shaw again would have been to do a Quint prequel of some sort. We're going to get to Spielberg's endearment to Robert Shaw in a little bit. But I wanted to uh, focus, continue on this time frame in uh, 77 to November 1977. So Close Encounters was released in uh, New York City on November 16th, 1977. So what we have is he was already wrapped on Close Encounters. He wasn't doing anything. And this is what happened. Jaws 2 ran into some problems. The, the uh, John Hancock, the original director, it was not working out. They didn't like his vision. So Zanuck and Brown reapproached Steven Spielberg in July of 77, they reapproached Steven Spielberg. So here is a, um, I'm going to read from page 107 now of Jaws 2, Making of Hollywood Sequel. When John Hancock was fired, Spielberg was contacted by his mentor, Universal Studio head man, Sid Sheinberg. Now remember, Sid Sheinberg is the one who shot down the prequel idea and wanted to go with Jaws 2, a linear sequel. So Mr. Sheinberg said this, this time Spielberg would give an answer. He quote, he said, this is quoting Spielberg. I said I'd spend the July 4th weekend trying to find the solution to a sequel and that if I could write it and Zanuck and Brown would push the production to the spring of 78, I'd do it. I spent three days at a typewriter and wrote seven or eight schematic breakdowns. I kept the Dreyfus and Scheider characters in it. Then I finally said to myself, I can't, I can't. I called Sid back and said I couldn't do it. I decided a sequel would not be an exercise in expanding my own horizons. It would be corporate business. We had July of 77, Spielberg took three days at a typewriter and considered a Jaws 2 sequel, of which he said he considered it corporate business. 
and it wouldn't be expanding his own horizons. And then the new director, the new director of Jaws 2 took over in October 77. So that effectively ended Steven Spielberg's uh, relationship with the Jaws uh, with the Jaws franchise. What's really interesting here is now just remember those dates. Remember, so we got to remember uh, August 75. That's when the idea of a prequel was pitched. Then we have July of 77 when Spielberg shoots down the idea for a sequel for Jaws 2, the sequel that he did. He took three days and he didn't want to do it. In June of 2011, Spielberg chatted with author Brian Vesp, uh, Vespi, better known to his readers as Quint for a piece on the Ain't It Cool News website. Asked if he was offered Jaws 2, he replied, yeah, of course, and Jaws 3. I was done. I was done with the ocean. I would have done the sequel if I hadn't had such a horrible time at sea on the first film. I would have absolutely jumped at the chance to own the sequel because I knew that when I was walking away from the sequel, I was walking away from a huge piece of my life that I had helped to create. But it wasn't a hard decision to walk away from it. I just couldn't, could not imagine going back out to the ocean and sitting in a boat for nine months. I just couldn't imagine it. So I was happy and relieved to not have made the movie. But also, I wasn't happy with the sequel, and I realized I had let a franchise go that I could have made a good contribution to. When asked if he had any idea what he would have done with a sequel, Spielberg replies, No, no idea at all. No idea at all. But I have a very, very good scene which I thought would have been a good would I, which I thought would have been good for a sequel someday. He didn't share his idea. That was from page 107 and 108 from Jaws 2, the making of Hollywood sequel. What we have there is we have Spielberg saying that. He didn't like the idea of going out on a boat and all those bad memories were coming back because Jaws 2 was a pitfall. Jaws 2 had no real screenplay. Uh, Carl Gottlieb was brought back in to do a rewrite on it. Uh, the production was already uh, had its already had its back against the wall. So Spielberg started to get his own post-traumatic stress disorder. His own PSD from Jaws was coming back and he was coming. That's why Jaws... And the story of Quint is really a, a story of post-traumatic stress disorders and how one deals with them. And it's natural that the characters after Jaws would have suffered from PTSD as well. So Steven, director Steven Spielberg actually knows about these, these feelings a little bit. We're going to get into that in later episodes. I believe that the Orca was brought back, that there was going to be a prequel, and Steven Spielberg just couldn't wrap his, his mind around a Jaws sequel, what he could wrap his mind around was the Jaws prequel. And that's why he always sticks to Howard Sackler, always brings Howard Sackler's name up in credit to the USS Indianapolis speech that Robert Shaw ultimately does on film. It was Howard Sackler's early idea. And that's the guy that was pitching the prequel idea. So Spielberg had a hand in, a hand with that back in August 75. There was that small window. It was a two-year window between August of 75 and that fourth, that fateful 4th of July weekend in 1977. Between that time, Spielberg would have filmed Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and he would have been in the final stages of editing Close Encounters, and he's trying to find another the next project. He seriously contemplated for three days at a typewriter the Jaws 2 sequel, but the whole process was started as a Jaws prequel. And it was during that time in 1976 was when they filmed the Columbo episode where we have this scene where Detective Columbo 
is in front of the orca. That's Spielberg's orca. That's Steven Spielberg got the orca back from Alan Aquino. And that's where it is at that point in time. And that is the first appearance that it makes on a screen of some kind. Now, remember, that would have went to, there were all sorts of appearances that the orca made after that. The Jaws attraction was seen in a lot of TV shows after that. You had the A-Team 1983, Knight Rider 1986. Uh, you had, uh, I know that um, uh, Bill Bixby and the Indian, and Incredible Hulk had a scene there. But this was the first one. Columbo Fade into Murder 1976 was the first time you actually see the orca on any screen of any kind after the making of Jaws. So that's a moment in history that we can lock in and say Spielberg was looking for a project after Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The orca was still intact and still there. There could very well have been a prequel made that deals with a younger Quint and then into the discovery or the construction of the orca. How different would movies have been? How different would our perception of Jaws have been had that been the narrative going forward? But it was not. I believe that everything changed for Steven Spielberg on the 28th of August, 1978, when Robert Shaw passed away. And I'm going to refer now to an essay that Richard Dreyfus wrote commemorating Robert Shaw. Uh, Richard Dreyfus. these are words from Richard Dreyfus from January of 2015. One afternoon in the sleeping quarters of the Orca, so Richard Dreyfus is recalling uh, being on set of Jaws with Robert Shaw. One afternoon in the sleeping quarters of the Orca, the workboat that was our at-sea rest area, equipment holder, and kitchen. As we were wading through another interminable amount of time for a sailboat to get out of our shot, which could sometimes take an hour, Robert, who was in another bunk, jumped up and said, I know, I'll play the ghost to your Hamlet if you play the fool to my Lear. You got it, I answered, but not for ten years. Why, he asked, and I said, because you'd blow me out of the water any time sooner, and you know it. And he laughed and laughed and agreed. One thing I'm sure of is that had he lived, we'd have done it together long before this. He was big, brilliant, boisterous, a work of art unto himself like a cross between Beethoven's thunder and Loki's jokes. He terrified me, and I loved him. I was his Gunga Din, sometimes to be flayed, sometimes singled out for praise. Richard Dreyfus continues on uh, towards the end of the essay. Quote, On the day I heard he died, I drove to Stephen's house and found him wordlessly playing the piano. I think I might have tried to speak, but he was only sitting and playing, head down, for a long time. I left and drove my Mercedes aimlessly. I was cheated out of playing his fool. I miss him more than even then I knew, because recently I was on an Irish talk show and was introduced to his great-granddaughter, who had never met him, and I burst into uncontrollable tears. I think because a part of me still grieves at what I could have learned and how spectacular a companion he was. Those are words from Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, I think, has also, that his relationship with Robert Shaw has also been uh, slanted by the stories of friction that were on set, which we all know were real. But Richard Dreyfus admired Robert Shaw for who he was, and I believe so did Steven Spielberg. And when Richard Dreyfus writes about, he visited Steven's house when he, the day 
Robert died. I drove to Stephen's house. I found Stephen wordlessly playing the piano. I think I've might, I might have tried to speak, but he was only sitting and playing head down for a long time. So we do know that Steven Spielberg took the death of Robert Shaw very, very, very seriously. It really affected him because that was one of the first great actors he was able to direct. Also, the look at what he did for his movie. Jaws would not be Jaws without Robert Shaw playing Quint. And I believe that he wanted to honor that relationship with Robert Shaw by doing a prequel. I think that's why he went and reacquired the Orca, was there was a chance of him actually reestablishing Robert Shaw in a prequel setting. A prequel was not a popular term at the time, but it was something that George Lucas was tossing around. And Steven Spielberg would have been attracted to that just by talking to George Lucas and seeing the scope of Star Wars. George Lucas had this big grand scope that the movie he was making was just a small piece of the story. And that Spielberg was thinking that Jaws could also be that way, utilizing the USS Indianapolis narrative. I recently took a phone call from a uh, from an accomplished author and a, another name in the Jaws world. He and I had a dis- had a discussion on well, the lack of uh, any sequels or prequels to Jaws over the years. What I'm learning is that Universal will not do anything Jaws related after Jaws the Revenge, without Spielberg's approval. So Steven Spielberg has kind of assumed authority over Jaws because, as we read earlier, he kind of has been disappointed with the sequels, and he feels that he could have contributed to the Jaws legacy had he not abandoned Jaws 2. And I believe it was that Jaws prequel that is still burning inside him. And that's why we are on something that's very special here is that this prequel to Jaws called The Book of Quint, this is an epic journey following Quint. I think that Mr. Spielberg still has that inside him about the Jaws prequel. And for a chance to work with Robert Shaw's son, Ian Shaw, a chance to actually make this project a legacy builder for the original Jaws. Instead of a remake or a reissue, we get a rebirth of the original Jaws with a proper prequel. I feel very strongly that we are on the right track here, so we just keep got to make forward progress, keep pushing ahead. we got two to three more chapters to go, and we're going to have a finished manuscript. Very exciting times. I'm glad to have you along with me on this process. Thank you very much for listening. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired, I want to go to bed. How about that? Not many shows can connect Columbo and Jaws, but we can do that here on the Jaws Obsession. Always good to see. The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyright Act. The copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. Materials used here are protected by the Fair Use Guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act. All rights reserved to the copyright owners.
Now, don't forget that we still, uh, there's about 12 days left. 12 days left to get in line for the Book of Quint, and you will be sent the postcard, the Amity Island Tourist postcard, courtesy of Quint's Shark and Shack at Etsy.com and JawsOB.com, Jaws Obsession. Those are going to go out August 27th. So there's still time. If you haven't, go to JawsOB.com, BookOfQuint.com. Follow the links to our Indiegogo.com page, and you can select a sponsorship for the Book of Quint. Not only will you get the book, but you'll get a postcard that we detailed in the last two episodes regarding the map of Amity Island. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. You can contact us at JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. Telegram channel at Jaws OB. Thanks for listening. Until next week, for all I'll do and show me the way to go home. <laughs>